as we sit, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, Peter goes on to tell the story of your crucifixion, uh, resurrection, and return. Please open our ears by your spirit uh, this morning, that we may know how rightly to respond to what you want to do in our own hearts today as part of that continuing story. Amen. Uh, Well, good morning. Um, Friday, a couple of days ago, uh, Will was at Lord's. Uh, uh, there was a cricket match. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Richard Leggett and maybe some others of you, I don't know, will be at Wembley. There's a football match. And in between, there is the Radio One big weekend. Thank you for coming here today. <laughs> to listen to me when you could have been listening to Taylor Swift. (laughs) But that big weekend sets up a kind of dynamic around Pentecost. Is it kind of like a great big praise party? Uh, A respected conservative commentator on this text in front of us, says that the apostles burst out on this day into praise of God. And one could understand why he might say so. But the text doesn't say that. Please turn to it if you've closed your Bibles. It's chapter 2 of uh, the Acts of the Apostles, page 1093. The word praise... uh, doesn't occur in the narrative of this passage. The closest we get is uh, in verse 11 at the top of the second column there on that page. Uh, we, hear all these, we hear these people declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Well, what does that mean, wonders? Well, it's actually, it, it actually does mean something specific. It isn't just that uh, God is doing great things. Uh, Wonders means uh, a particular form of the great things that God does. And for something that uh, would echo it, uh, I'm not going to ask you to follow it because this is a very long psalm. You could look to something like Psalm 78, uh, in which the psalmist says, I'm going to tell you the wonders of God. And what do the wonders of God turn out to be? Well, they turn out to be a particular shape to the story. A shape in which uh, we get repeated uh, patterns three or four times of God does something amazing for his people, but they act in rebellion. Nonetheless, God comes back and continues to act in mercy and in grace towards them doing wonderful things again. And that, that pattern of God's goodness, God's good acts, followed by rebellion, comes several times in Psalm 78. And when wonders are spoken of in the Old Testament, 
That's what it normally means, this pattern of God doing tremendous things in love and mercy and kindness to a people that then turn out to be rebellious and ungrateful. In, the, in Psalm 78, the, the three deep stories that come through are that I rescued you from Egypt, but then you put me to the test. I fed you with manna in the wilderness, but you didn't believe or trust in me. I gave you my law as a set of curbstones to keep you in the, in the center of my will but you turned to rebellion and idolatry. Law, for the Old Testament, is a blessing from God that follows judgment upon his people. I will give you this law, it will be a blessing. You will uh, be helped uh, by these curbstones that will keep you away from the dreaded uh, dangers, but stay in the center. Uh, And that's why around the time of Jesus, we know that what was originally a harvest festival, Pentecost, coming 50 days after Passover, what was originally a harvest festival, also became associated with the giving of the law. 50 days after they'd left Egypt, the story went, they were at the mountain and Moses received for them the law from God. So Pentecost has this kind of double side to it. It's a harvest festival, but it's also the festival of the giving of the law. So we might say this, the wonders of God are God's merciful acts for his people in the context of their sin and his judgment. And that is what uh, uh, Peter has in mind as he stands up to explain to those who've gathered Uh, maybe it was, maybe it was just uh, uh, thousands, uh, uh, well, at least hundreds, but quite possibly, there were certainly thousands of people in Jerusalem at the time, so think of it as kind of like the main stage at Earlham Park right now. Um, uh, And and Peter stands up to explain what's going on. And he uses uh, the prophet Joel. And one of the things that goes on in the New Testament, and we've realized this more and more, as you kind of, you get these bits of quotation from the Old Testament. And more and more we realize that actually when a little bit is quoted, there's a lot more being thought about. So it's relevant to think, what is the shape of Joel's prophecy? It's not the most well-known prophecy for us. Uh, If I asked you, go and find the book of Joel, let's face it, most of us are going to look for the index. Um, Partly because it's very, very small. But it has a very short story to tell. God's people are under uh, God's judgment. And he says to them in the face of it, um, uh, perform acts of repentance. Declare a holy fast. Sit in sackcloth. Uh, But then the judgment goes even uh, more deep. It goes, uh, there's a, there's a, a terrible army coming against them. And then Joel says to to the people, it's not just going to be about the performance of acts of repentance. It's where we get the line, rend your hearts and not your garments at this point. He says, make it a repentance that's going on in your heart. So you've got two two judgments 
One followed by uh, external repentance, one followed by internal repentance. And then on the basis of that internal repentance, we get the promise of tremendous new harvests and, as we get here, the promise of the Spirit. And at the end of the promise of the Spirit and the words we've got here, we get a renewed promise of how it's all going to end. God's people are going to be saved because they've called upon the Lord, but all the nations are going to be gathered into a great valley of decision where God separates them and uh, pronounces judgment on all the nations who've oppressed his people, but then saves all the people who have called upon him by the Spirit that he has poured out. And it's the Spirit bit from Joel that Peter quotes now in in his address to all those in front of him. Judgment is coming. That's the context of these words. And when he's quoted from Joel, he's really saying, this, what you have just seen, all the tongues and all the declaration of God's mighty wonders that you've heard in your own languages, this is that that Joel was talking about. Judgment is coming. Because the wonders of God tell a story that the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, have not met with anything but persistent rebellion across the peoples of the world, including you, my own people. Grace has not met with gratitude. It was true in the Exodus, the wonders of God. And of course, Peter's taking the line because it's true in this time of Jesus. Here is a man utterly walking in the center of God's will, utterly turned to the the will of God and not his own will, who lived his life uh, in alignment with that uh, phrase that just comes once, not my will, but yours. That's uh, Jesus And what have you done with Jesus? You crucified him. You could not bear to have among you this example of utter godliness. Yet again, like the wonders of God of old, grace has not met with gratitude, but with the worst kind of opposite. So judgment, of course, is coming. And Peter is saying the sequence is approaching completion that Joel talked about. By the promised spirit, God's people are prophesying. You've been listening to them, folks. You from Phrygia and Pamphylia and Medes and Elamites and Cappadocians, all of you. You're Jews, scattered across the world and speaking its many languages. And you've gathered and you have heard God's people prophesying. God's word is no longer confined to special people, to prophets, priests and kings. But your children are going to be speaking the word. This is how serious it's got. Joel says, actually, your children, the girls were sold as slaves and the boys to be prostitutes, but girls and boys are now prophets. It's so desperate now that I, my spirit is going to rest on uh, the uh, girls, the boys, your young men, your, uh, your old men, even on my servants, both men and women, not the prophets, priests and kings, but everybody, 
We are getting to the final time where everybody will be filled with the Spirit, all kinds of people, because the seriousness of the sin is such, in the light of the death of Jesus, that I can no longer confine my spirit to the special people. A final judgment is coming, and all God's people are summoned in the face of that final judgment to call on the name of the Lord and be saved, as Peter finishes there will be a deep and final blessing of full salvation. Now, it is uh, very inconsiderate of the biblical writers not to have borne in mind the demands of a Sunday morning service when they were setting out scripture in the first place. We should really have verses 1 through to 42 read, but that would be quite long. So instead we tend to get verses 1 to 21 or verses 22 to 41. But Peter goes on, uh, men of Israel, in verse, four, in verse 22, and I'm not going to go there very much, but I do want you to remember that we, where we may only have had those first 21 verses, he's carrying on. And he is telling the story, much like Psalm 78 would have done. He is saying, Jesus was sent among you, handed over to you by God's set purpose, though he did miracles, wonders, and signs. And when he did those, it was God that was among you. But what did you do with him? You killed him. You crucified him. this This is as bad as it can ever get. Uh, you killed him. Uh, what happened? His, his body did not see decay, but on the other hand, God actually raised him up from the dead so that he is the one that was prophesied from of old. And he is coming, and my task is to say to you this morning, at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, says Peter, that God has made this man Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Christ. And they're cut to the heart, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and receive. And I don't think I'd ever fully appreciate it until I spent some time really looking through Joel, uh, this time at Pentecost. Because of course preachers, you know, we have the, the resurrection narratives and we have the Pentecost narratives and they come around year after year. But I don't think I'd ever appreciate that this is, Pentecost is not a jolly little praise party. Nothing wrong with a jolly little praise party, but it's not what Pentecost is. It's not Taylor Swift for the godly people. Do you know there were 50,000 tickets for Taylor Swift sold in 40 minutes? Wouldn't it be amazing if there were 50,000 people gathering to hear the word of God all summoned in 40 minutes? There is joy and there is amazement in this text, but it's not a happy little time. This involves us. And that's the thing that strikes me. You can't listen to Pentecost and think, oh, that's wonderful what God did. There's not one of us is exempt. This is stern and solemn and terrible stuff. But it is also deeply joyful because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Judgment is coming. And perhaps if you're one of those who thinks, what? 
This is miles away from my experience. Yeah, of course it is. Miles away from ours, too. Why is judgment coming? Because it is typical of the human race, and it has been proved, though God chose a people for himself, for his praise, to do the best with the best law available to them. Rebellion is the characteristic of the human race, that even at our best, we are still living for ourselves. We are not saying, as Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done. And so judgment comes, because even at our best, we live only for ourselves. And when we think we're living for others, it's still really for ourselves. What is judgment for? Well, because we cannot bear easily a life of turning away from ourselves and towards God. And it's as true of us as it was for all those Mesopotamians and for all those Jews back in the day of Joel. And so the words come to you and to me just as much as they did to Peter's hearers on that day. Repent and receive. That's just explaining what it means to call on the name of the the Lord. Never realized till this time that actually what Peter goes on to do in verses 22 to 41 is simply to explain for his hearers what's already gone on in verses 1 to 21. The wonders of God. What's the pattern here? Judgment is coming, but God has rescued us Uh, again and again. We've been ungrateful. Uh, It just happens that you've heard it uh, through the mouth of these people prophesying in other languages. Now let me carry on and tell you the story of our own day, and it's exactly the same story. God's goodness comes to us, but what do we do? We reject it. We don't meet his grace with gratitude. We cannot bear a life of turning away from ourselves and towards God unless God comes into our life and we call upon the name of the Lord. So it's not a a kind of, oh, Taylor, Holy Spirit, kind of day. It's a day to repent and receive and to let the deep joy That is God's gift of his spirit, because that's also what Peter promises, not just repent, but also receive. To allow God to give us the spirit so that we have something worth saying and something worth singing today and for the rest of our lives. Is there ever any need in the church of God greater than the need for the Spirit of God. Well, in a few moments, uh, Will is going to ask us to stand for the creed. So, you know, it's a sermon, so we come to an end and then we pray. So, but because we're going to be standing anyway, I'm going to ask everyone, please, to stand. Don't worry about the noises, because your sons and daughters will prophesy. Uh, And I'm going to allow some uh, space and time. I'm not going to control this um, time. uh, But we'll have a little quiet uh, for you to interpret what calling on the name of the Lord means for you. 
And then I'll lead us in a prayer of receiving, repenting and receiving. Lord God, as we stand here all in silence, the noise I can hear is the ticking of the clock before us. Or before me, anyway. And it's a reminder that we do not meet in a a blank space away from everything else. But time moves on. The day of the Lord draws ever closer. And that day comes because we have not been the people that you made us to be. And so we repent before you. For some, that will be repentance yet again from the ways that have taken us this week. Perhaps for others it'll be a recognition for the first time that even at our best, it is not the living God of heaven and earth that we have been serving. We repent. We turn from a centeredness upon ourselves And we turn to you, recognizing that the story of our life, even as the story of the nations that has been opened up for us in Peter's word this morning, is a story of rebellion and self-centeredness. And from that we turn to you. We confess that left to ourselves, we ignore and reject Jesus the Christ. But we turn to him and to that style of life that marked him then and now, that he lives lives only to do the will of his Father. Make us that people And send your Holy Spirit into our minds, into our hearts, into our gatherings. That we may be the people of your Spirit. And that we may have the praises, the wonders of God to speak and sing in our generation. that Jesus Christ, the Lord and King of all, may be pleased to receive our praise 
and to be exalted as he is. Beside the Father of all. For we ask it in his name. Amen.